Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. So good to see you this morning, if you're new or coming back. Um, welcome to day seven of 2024. It's going quick, isn't it? Wow. We're already a 52nd of the way through this year. Uh, is it going okay for you? Yeah, good. Well, not, not totally reassured by the answer, but um, hey, you know, if it's going well for you, brilliant. We're praying it does go well for you. If, if, if it's not, if it's a bit of a choppy start for 2024, then don't worry because the Bible teaches us that God is faithful, he loves us, and he's going to be with us every single day of this year. Isn't that amazing? So the other really exciting thing this morning is we're starting a new teaching series. I know, right? So we're going to be studying the book of Philippians, which in itself is probably the most encouraging book you can read in the whole Bible. And we're going to study this between now and Easter this term. So we, we thought, wouldn't it be fun to give everybody a copy of Philippians? Did you find it on your seat when you came in? So that's for you to keep. And you might have found some pens dotted around because, you know, Jesus said something very important. He said, he said be careful how you hear. And often I can be a bit casual in the way I hear. I just sit and listen and watch and, and it goes over my head a bit. And I think, what, what was even said? The way you can actively help yourself to listen is to actually write things, to, to circle things, to underline things, to write notes, to draw pictures, whatever helps you to just keep listening to what God will say to you this morning and through this series. So please do that. Don't feel any pressure to do that. If you just want to listen, that's fine. But if you, if you want to take notes and if you want, then find a pen and just start writing on that book and write your name on it so if it gets lost, at least it can come back to you as well. And the way we're going to do it is to go through a few verses at a time. Today, we're going to go through verses 1 to 11. So last term, we preached topically, topic, topic, topic. This term, we're just going through a few verses and just see what they say and allow God to speak to us. You ready for that? Okay, so I think it's page 8 in your books. And um, it's, uh, it starts this way. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Already in our worship, some of these themes have come up again and again, which is very exciting. But let's start at the beginning of this book, this letter then. So who's it from? It's from Paul and Timothy. When we get a letter in our culture, you usually have to turn to the back, don't you? To find, well, who's it from? 
Well, they were a bit clever in biblical days. They, they started so you didn't have to turn to the back to find who it was from. It's right that Paul and Timothy wrote this letter. Who were they? They were pretty well-known church leaders back in the day in New Testament times. Everybody knew who they were. But look at how he introduces himself to the Philippians when he writes to them. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Here's something that is a big, big theme in the book of Philippians. It's the theme of being a servant, being servitude, people of servitude. Jesus himself, there's a poem about him in chapter two that we'll come on to, where it's all about Jesus, who is the servant who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And Paul straight away is teaching us, Paul and Timothy, they're teaching us that if you want to know something about leadership, if you want to learn one thing, it's this, it's to serve. It's to serve Jesus and it's to serve other people. We live in a world full of big names and big celebrities and sadly that even comes into churches sometimes. But here's our model, service. That begs the question of us, well, what kind of people do you follow? What kind of people do you let into your lives that influence you? Is it the people who look good? Is it the people who are articulate and have good oratory skills? Or people who are very popular and have YouTube channels in abundance? Or is it people like the Apostle Paul and Timothy who could say this, you know what, we're we're not in it for us, We're, we're in it for you. That's who God wants you to follow. Let that be a word to us today. But also notice it's Paul and Timothy. Paul's often, he's always working in team. He never works by himself. He's always keen to be working with others. And if you were to go back into Acts 16, where this church is founded, you'd find it started actually with Paul and Silas, a different person. Timothy was there, but he was just a young guy at the time. He was like the teenage kid who Paul said, why don't you come along for the trip? And here we are, 12 years later, and Timothy has become a remarkable gifted leader who's trusted highly by Paul, that Paul says, we're co-authoring this letter together from prison. I wonder if you expect things to change in your life. At the start of 2024, I want to, to, to suggest that things are going to change, rightly change. The wonderful thing about Paul and Timothy or Paul and Silas or Paul and whoever he's working with is that it models something so important in the kingdom of God is that God will give us constants and he gives us things that change. Paul, he's there again and again and again. This time it's Timothy with him. In healthy Christian life, there'll be people that you thank God for because they never seem to move on from your life. Their constants is a wonderful blessing. There's other people that might have just tipped up in your life in the last year or two, and you think, well, I'm really thankful for them. Or maybe you haven't even taken time to thank God for them. Figure out who those people are in your lives and thank God for the constants and thank those for those he brings into your life. And if you're a Timothy, if you're a younger person or even an older person, expect to grow and change. Don't expect to remain young in your faith. Expect to grow into all that God has for you this year. Where are they writing from? They're writing from a prison in Rome. He talks about his chains in this letter. That's how we know that. Um, who's it to? This is easy stuff, isn't it? I can see that you're impressed with the, the way I'm really digging deep into this letter. Who's it to? Well, it's to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. It's to some Christians in a town called Philippi. 
Easy. How did those Christians get to be there? Well, it starts in Acts chapter 16, when the Apostle Paul, he's on what's called his second missionary journey, and on this map behind me, he's about to go right to that place called Bithynia. He thinks that's the next logical place. It's on a circuit route going back to where he's come from. And somehow God says no. We don't know how, but... And then in a dream or in a vision, he sees a man of Macedonia saying, come and help us, the mysterious man of Macedonia. <laughs> and Macedonia is that place across the water. So it's not the easy route back, it's going somewhere that's going to take you further from home. And that's how this church gets planted. It gets planted when somebody has a vision from God, his people who are with him, his, his companions say, yeah, we think that's from God. A team is formed, and then they sacrifice and move further away so that they can start this new community, and they start preaching the gospel, and people get saved. Do you want to know who's in the church? Are you interested? Yeah, it's always nice to know the faces and the names, isn't it? Acts chapter 16, we can, you can look at these later at home, but um, Acts 16, the first person we meet is a lady called Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She sells purple cloth. I bet she's very easy to spot on a Sunday morning. She's the one wearing purple, right? Um, anyway, it says that the Lord opened her heart to Paul's message, and then she opened her home for Paul and Timothy and others to come in and meet with them. God does amazing things when you open your heart and you open your home. Churches get planted that way. So there's Lydia. So she's, she's sat on the front row on the Sunday morning. And then there's this other lady, and you think, well, she's a young lady. She's by herself. She's, she was somebody who was delivered by the Apostle Paul from occult powers that had gripped her life for years. And it's a funny story. Paul's a bit annoyed at her, but he ends up sort of casting this demon out of her. And her life is changed forever. And her owners are really annoyed because they were really invested in her powers that she had. But now she's delivered. And she's sitting in church, delivered and set free by Jesus. And then next to her, there's somebody who works for the prison service. He's the jailer from Philippi. And he's in the story because Paul and Silas were imprisoned when they were there 12 years earlier, and, and there's an earthquake, and their chains break loose, and by all signs, it appears like God is giving them an opportunity to escape these chains in these prisons. Paul chooses not to. He chooses to stay where he is, because the Philippian jailer is about to take his own life. He's about to commit suicide, because such was the nature of losing prisoners that are under your charge, that would be, you'd, you'd get a death sentence for that yourself. So Paul says, don't worry, we've stayed, we're here. The Philippian jailer says, wow, what must I do to be saved? Clearly your message is true. And so he and his wife and his children and his whole household become believers in Jesus. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household that's the makeup of this church, and then others, and more and more people join them. So that's the makeup of that group, a businesswoman, a slave girl, an employee of the prison service, and many others. Where did they meet? They met in Lydia's house. How does Paul address them in this letter to them? I love the way he addresses them. He says, to all God's holy people. And 
to the overseers and deacons. The, the, the leaders are kind of mentioned second. He wants to know that all of these people, no matter what their background, are counted holy because of their faith in Jesus. They've been made right by Jesus, no matter what their background. If you're using the ESV, it will call them saints. The word saint, we usually think that applies to special Christians, the specials. But Paul is really saying here, well, you're all special because you're all saints, because you're all holy, because that's who Jesus has made you to be. And do you notice the slightly clumsy way he introduces uh, he, he, that sentence? I, I think it's slightly clumsy. I'll, I'll pick it up with Paul when I see him in heaven. But um, He says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, where do you live? In Edinburgh, right? You'd normally say in Edinburgh or in Pennycook or in Glasgow. But Paul says, well, you know, that's not your primary address. How, how many of you here have an email address? How many of you have two email addresses? Yeah, all of us. One for the junk mail, one, <laughs> one for the important stuff. You have a primary email and a secondary email. Paul is saying that your primary address is in Christ. That's where you belong. He says, oh, by the way, I know you're at Philippi. That might change. But one thing that will never change is this, that you are in Christ. That's where your address is. That's where your identity is. That's the thing that never changes for you if you're a Christian. Your address might change. It might be Edinburgh today. It might be Glasgow this year. It might be Gaza. It might be Calcutta. It might be any nation of the world, but one thing never changes for you, your primary identity, which is in Christ. That's where you belong. Identity isn't something you choose. It's something spoken over you. It's what's said over you. You are a saint, a holy one, cleansed by Jesus. What's the message? What's the message of the book? Oh, grace and peace. Amazing. Love it. Do you know, all of Paul's letters start with these two words, grace and peace. Grace means undeserved favor from God, and peace means uh, the, the peaceful presence of God's presence in our lives and the cessation of hostility. Grace and peace. Sometimes we start in the wrong place in our Christian lives, and even in our times when we chat together, because... Um, no, no doubt today there's a bit of catching up to be done, isn't there? You know, no doubt we'll have a cup of coffee and uh, there'll be the inevitable question, so how, how was your Christmas and New Year? And there'll be all sorts of ups and downs and stories to tell, no doubt. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul the question, you know, how was your week, Paul? How was, how was your Christmas and New Year? I think he would probably say, well, first of all, grace and peace. <laughs> he said, I was a sinner who was going to hell and I've been loved by Jesus, and his grace is poured out in my life. And I've been filled with his peaceful presence. Isn't it amazing? And you might say, yeah, but can we have a bit more detail, Paul, please? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in a prison in Rome, and these chains are really chafing at me. I'm really not happy. Timothy is annoying me at the moment. And yeah, you think, oh, yeah, so there's detail, but there's the big picture, grace and peace. You know, every day for you, when you wake up, God would say these words to you, grace and peace. Grace and peace, no matter what the challenge. 
grace and peace. Now, this letter is a thank you letter. Um, how many of you have uh, written your thank you letters this year for presents received? Hmm, interesting, okay. Well, take some examples from Paul. His was four chapters long. It's a thank you letter because they had sent him a gift, a financial gift to help him while he was in prison. You didn't really get sort of welfare in those days, so it mattered that you had other people supporting you. Now, Philippi was 800 miles from Rome. And the Christians in Philippi had sent a messenger called Epaphroditus, we'll read about him later on, to take this gift. I think Epaphroditus could give the proclaimers a run for their money. He walked 800 miles and he walked 800 more. There and back. And he nearly died in the process. But here's, here's the thing. He walked 800 miles to get there. But by Google Maps today, 19 hours, 23 minutes by car. But one to two months back then to travel that kind of distance. But Paul wants to write this letter because he realizes the extravagance and the commitment of their care and their gift to him. And he wants to recognize it. In fact, if you want to grow in the gift of encouragement, Philippians is a great book for that because it teaches you how to encourage people. Uh, I've got just, just very briefly three Ds. So Paul describes what they've done. Uh, in, in chapter four, he says, he says, I'm amply supplied. Now I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He's basically saying thanks. It's a thank you message. But he goes more than that. He, he describes, but then he goes deeper. He deepens. He attributes their generosity to a deeper and underlying motive of their lives having been changed by Jesus. He's like, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm seeing. Everything in your life has changed that you would do that kind of thing. When you encourage people, look to go beyond the thank you or the thumbs up emoji to say things like, you know, not just I appreciated that lovely meal, but I so appreciated the welcome that I felt. I felt so at home in your house. I felt so loved by you. I felt so invested in by that time. I know your time is so precious. I know how busy you are, but I, I saw what you did there. And then he directs them. He doesn't just pat them on the back and say, good on, nothing to say here, just amazing, guys, well done. He realizes that anybody who is going out on a limb for Jesus like they're doing, they risk falling off the other side of the road into another ditch. If you're going generous, generous, committed, I'm going to keep pouring out my life. He knows this, that that's so, so intense that you can fall into the other ditches. You begin to grumble and complain. And you think, oh, man, it's such a lot of work. So he starts saying things. He says, be careful not to grumble and complain. Make sure you rejoice in the Lord always. Do it again. I'll say it again. He directs. Good encouragement. It describes, it deepens, and it directs. Anyway, so in the remainder of these verses, we have three days for us to align our lives to, two preoccupations that we must consider, and one end game. Here's the end game. It's the glory and praise of God. I love that. When I read these verses for the first time in preparing for this message, that was the bit that jumped out at me. That often happens when you read the Bible. Just a certain verse will jump out at you in a special way. I thought, oh yeah, I just thought, that's what it's all about, isn't it? 
It's about the glory and praise of Jesus. Some of us have a tendency to just be constantly evaluating everything on, how's it working for me? How's it working for me? Others of us find great value in a job well done. And we're just like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's strategies, it's methods. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was good, that was good. Both of those things are important, but here's the thing that we evaluate everything by. Does it bring glory and praise to Jesus? Paul was sitting happy in a prison cell in Rome if that brought glory to Jesus. Anyway, so one end game to the glory and praise of God. But here's three days that Paul and Timothy would encourage us to live our lives by. Did you see them as we read through? He says, the first day, the day of Christ, and now. So the first day, he helps them to remember the first day when they became believers, when their Christian journey began. When did your journey begin? wonder if you remember. The implication of what Paul says there is that their lives had changed noticeably when they had come to know Jesus. He'd begun to observe it. All of us here will have been born in remote and different places and different lands, perhaps. All of us will have had different upbringings and backgrounds. But do you know, none of that actually matters. It doesn't matter if you were born in a well-off situation or in in a difficult situation. What matters is this, that you were born again. You were born again into the kingdom of God. The first day. The first day isn't the first day of your life. It's the day that you came to know Jesus. That's where life really begins. Perhaps today you haven't experienced that first day yet. You can experience it today. Or you can come on the, uh, the, the, the new opportunity uh, event and you can come and discover how you can have your first day with God on this new journey. There's a reset available. And then he draws their attention to to the end, the day of Christ. He says, the the, the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. The day of Christ is the end day. That's the last day. That's the day when Jesus will come again. And he's come back to, to reward and rescue his people. And Paul says, be mindful of this, how it all began and how it's all going to end. That's so motivational in the Christian life. Where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us with today, in the middle, right now, where you are, where I am, where they were, every day, living for Jesus. How's Paul feeling about today? He's excited about the start. He's excited about the finish. But what about today, this world with all of its anxieties and seemingly, in his day, the persecution of Christians and people being thrown in prison. How's he feeling? It might surprise you. Confident. (laughs) He's feeling confident in the present. That's how he would want you and I to feel as we look at this world full of its uncertainties and difficulties and wars, and all sorts of manner of things that are changing. You'd want to say this, well, I think God would want you to be confident. He says, because I'm confident 
in God's work. Now, here's his confidence. His confidence isn't in the situation. It's in the work of God in their lives. Good leaders are not self-confident. Celebrity leaders might exude confidence. And it's kind of weird because we, we then want to emulate that. We think, I wish I could be like them. Paul isn't self-confident. He's confident in the grace and the work of God in people's lives and in his own life. He boasts in the cross of Jesus and in the grace of God at work in his life. And he encourages them to do the same. Three days to live by. The first day, the last day, and today. Confident in God. Here's two preoccupations and priorities that we must have according to these verses. One is partnership and the other is prayer. Partnership. We're introduced to the idea of the meaning of Christian community. He thanks God for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership, it gets translated in a few different ways in the New Testament. The same word gets translated, the word is koinonia, it gets translated equally as fellowship or as participation. So in Acts 2.42, when it says the early church, the first Christians, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. That wasn't them sitting around having coffee together. It meant this word, partnership, participation, belonging, deeply invested. So I'm glad it gets translated this way in, in Philippians because Paul is drawing attention to the fact that Their Christianity meant something in terms of their devotion to him and his devotion to them. Partnership, participation, that's what fellowship is. Faith isn't a solo sport. We need one another and we need God. Partnership is one of the most precious gifts that you have as a believer. In 1 John 1 verse 3, It says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, partnership. And our fellowship, partnership, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Here was a source of great joy for the early Christians. It says that we're in partnership with God. And because we're in partnership with God, we're in partnership with other believers, You and I, we we may or may not know each other terribly well. Some of us will be really good pals in the room. Some of us will not know each other terribly well, but we can be partners. We can enjoy partnership together, investment in one another. It's the deepest kind of sharing. Many years ago, uh, when when we'd filled all the bedrooms in our house with young children, uh, I discovered that I had no place to call my own. In terms of, I wanted a place where I could have a desk and to just do a bit of admin sometimes, you know, not that happens very often, but, um, or, or to maybe write a, a sermon because we didn't have a church office back then. And uh, anyway, I, I sort of, I surveyed the whole house and I, I found this little area at the top of the stairs. It was like a dark hole. And I thought, maybe this could be something. And so I stuck a Velux window into the, it was put in the sort of eaves of the roof and it let the light in it and it transformed it. 
And I put in this sort of fitted desk. I sort of did it myself one day, and, I, and I, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And I got a chair, and, and I, I went off to Ikea, and I bought a little pot plant, and I, uh, I, I, put, I put my Bible on this clean, empty desk and a little notebook next to it and my pen, and I just sat there, and I enjoyed it for like an hour, just doing nothing. <laughs> and then I went out for the day, and I got home, and, and my kids had come home from school, and Evie, who was just very young at the time, she, she greets me. She was about six, I think. She, she, said, she said, oh, Dad, she says, guess what? We've got a new desk. <laughs> I said, oh, really? And she says, yeah, come and see. I said, and she takes me up the stairs, and, and uh, to my horror, she has moved my pot plant and my Bible and my notebook and pen all to the very end of the desk on this side. And she has replaced it with her coloring book and her colored pens and pencils and a couple of her soft toys. And she looked at me with a big smile. She said, Dad, I thought we could share. <laughs> she said, that's your half over there. <laughs> My heart sank slightly, but you know what? We've been sharing that desk for years now. See, it's so much more fun to share than to just have our boundary lives that we're so preoccupied with. You and I know what it is to have boundaries. We, we so prefer having our space and our territory, and this is mine and that's yours. But fellowship means the total giving of ourselves to one another, as exemplified by Paul and the Philippian church. Listen to how Paul expresses his partnership to them in these verses. So look, he says, he says I thank my God. He's thankful for them. Secondly, he's mindful. He says, I'm remembering you. He thinks about them all the time. Thirdly, he's joyfully praying for them. Fourthly, he's confident in God for them. Fifthly, he's affectionate towards them. Sixthly, he's missing them. I wonder which people in your lives you'd describe with that kind of affection and emotion. It's such a precious gift from God to be sought it's friendship, but it's different. In a small church, you can perhaps build friendship with everyone, but partnership expresses a heart of friendship for those you have common vision with. Paul didn't really get to hang out much with the Philippians. His heart would have been, I wish we could go to the cinema together. I wish we could hang out more. I wish we could have meals together. He says, you know, all of that's secondary because I know we are on the same page. Even if I never see you again, and I hope I will, he says, we're together. And I'm so encouraged that we are sharing in our preoccupation with our love of the gospel and the love of one another. Participation is the second one. P, the word prayer, comes up a few times. And he says, this is my prayer for you. He says, for your love to abound, for you, have to, for you to have discernment to know what is best, and for fruitfulness, the fruit of righteousness. It's heart, it's head, and it's hands. He prays for their love to abound. In our bounded lives, we must pray that God's love fills our hearts so that we reach out beyond our boundaries. Secondly, if we're to be those kind of Christians, we must 
learn to discern what is best and what is right. Because if we're just loving everybody all of the time, then quickly we think, I can't do it all. So therefore we say, Lord, would you just show me? Show me the right opportunities where I can help and serve and show love to others. And he will. And thirdly, pray for fruitfulness. Pray for your hands to bear fruit. Some of us have been plowing fields that have felt fallow for a long time. God wants to encourage you to keep praying for fruitfulness in this year ahead. Love abundantly, discern appropriately, expect answers to prayer. And this produces one result, which is the glory and praise of God. So here's the questions for us today. Who are you partnering with? Who are you doing life with? Who are the people that you could think of 800 miles away that you have some sense of commitment and love for? Who are the people in this city? And perhaps in this church, you think, I have deep levels of partnership with. As a church, we express partnership in a variety of ways. We, we're part of a family of churches called New Ground. And we have churches in Brazil and uh, South Africa and uh, in Europe and all over the UK. We, we love helping and serving one another. Just before Christmas, we, we took up an offering for uh, churches in, in Poland who are helping Ukrainian refugee victims because we're doing that out of partnership. We recognize the need. We say, well, we must give. We have partnership in Scotland with our own hub of churches, three churches working together in the borders in West Lothian and here. And we practice partnership in our own church family right here. Last year, we sent out uh, Anne Graham to go and work in Mozambique. And she writes back, and we write back and forth. And, and different ones of you are very connected with her. There's partnership, taking a deep interest in what's going on for her. And her taking a deep interest in us also. Think about who you're partnering with. Think about what you're praying for. Praying for your love to abound. Praying for discernment and praying for fruitfulness. There's two areas I'd love to highlight this morning. I don't know if Joe and uh, Gemma, could you just come and join me for a second and just grab a microphone from, from, from Karen there, that would be great. Um, just something that we're so excited about is there's churches in Scotland that have no young people and no children. We seem to have loads in Kings. And we're so thrilled that uh, Gemma and Joe uh, lead Kings Kids and Youth and just want to give them an invitation to just talk to us about how we can partner in helping our young people and children. Go for it. Um, yeah, so there's loads of exciting stuff happening um, with our youth at the moment. Um, one particular thing is on a Friday, we run the Hub 104 Youth Cafe, um, and we have about 40 young, unchurched young people from the high school down the road coming along every Friday afternoon. And the opportunities we've had to share the gospel with them and to build relationships with them and just to love them have been amazing. Um, and we've started to see a few of those young people connecting with other church things. Um, and it just, I guess, really feels like God is doing something 
Um, and it's really exciting. Um, and it's, yeah, um, if you feel like you would love to partner with us in that, then that would be wonderful. Um, we need people who can come alongside these young people and love them um, and just share God with them in whatever way you're able to. Um, we have team who are 17. We have team who are retired. Um, and I love that we get to be God's family together and that these young people get to see some of God's family. Um, and then we also have opportunities to disciple young people who come to this church and um, just want to love God and <coughs> sorry, um, and learn how to live for God in their school and in their everyday life. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. I want to do that. <laughs> but I've been busy. Um, I would love you to partner with me. I do the kids' work here. Um, it is the best job. Honestly, it's my favourite job. I love nursing, but there's significantly less painting involved. Um, come join the kids' team. Honestly, the kids on our church are so funny. They're really smart. I mean, most of you are doctors, so that's not really surprising. But they are, they are smart. They love... Uh, playing some of them they're just little rascals but they are so much fun um, and we have the best time as a team because we get to introduce them to Jesus we get to do what Jesus asked he said let the children come and if we don't tell them about God no one else is going to um, but we get to work out actually how do we explain deep biblical truths to kids of different ages uh, and then we get to play games it's so much fun um, so we'd love you to join and um, you know if you're like actually I already serve in different ways or kids' work is not for me, please pray. Um, I want us to have the kind of kids' work where we have loads of kids coming to know Jesus at a young age. Like, I want their testimony to be, I don't even remember when I became a Christian because I've always known God. Um, so, yeah, please pray that we would see them actually make real commitments, um, understand that God knows them and loves them and that they would grow up walking in step with the Spirit. Thanks. Wow. Um, big hand for these guys. I think they're just amazing. Um, and, you know, I think the nature of both of those roles and those teams is because you love young people and children, um, Jo will often find out she, she's literally out every Sunday serving with kids, which isn't very sustainable. Uh, Callum uh, Cookman would be the same. He's often out there every, every Sunday. We just need to improve our base of people who are serving in those areas so just wonder if you could hear that call for partnership today. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be the Pied Piper. You just have to have a servant heart and to love people to get involved. So chat to those guys if, uh, if you would like to help. Um, let's just read that uh, uh, final verse. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Does that mean there's good things ahead for you in 2024? I think so. I think we can be confident. I think it'd be great to just spend this last few minutes praying for one another and praying together. And uh, why don't we just pray right now and then uh, Chris and, and Karen can lead us a little bit. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this precious book of the Bible. Thank you for each person here. Lord, thank you for those whom the day is just beginning, the story is just starting. Thank you for those who are not yet in the story. Lord, would you give them the courage to step into day one? 
Lord, thank you that you're coming again. Lord, help us to live for today in the full knowledge that you are with us and that you will help us and that you will be all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.